the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's Tuesday and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And all you have to do to, is to call us if you have any questions about the Bible, questions about something going on in your life, questions about what we believe as Christians or why we believe it. Um, just dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local area here in San Antonio, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. A banner will be at the top. It says call now and um, you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number one last time, 340-9585. Well, we don't have uh, anything to announce today, so let's just get right to the questions um, that have been sent in. Uh, We'd love your phone calls. You're more interesting than I am. I tell you that often, so we'd love your calls. Here's a question from Diane. She says, the world is so messed up that it's easy for me to lose hope. Do you think things will get better? Diane, I have good news and bad news. Let me start with the bad news. I don't think things are going to get better. In fact, I think things are going to get worse. But the good news is that you can change. Instead of losing hope, you can find hope if you just look at something different. You see, people that are looking for this world to be satisfying. Uh, I often say to our church, Diane, that, that you know we Christians, we want heaven on earth. That's never going to be the case. Our hope is not here on earth. Our hope isn't found in the condition of the world that we live in. Our hope is found in Jesus Christ. Now, there's a great passage in Acts chapter 17 where Paul is making a defense against the, 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 uh, on Martial to um, um, mostly unbelievers. And and he says, in the body of that text, he says that God put us here at the time we live in, at the very, the very moment in history we live in. He also put us in the place that we are. And he did these things because this is the place where it's better for us to find God. Now, Here's what that means to us practically, Diane, as Christians. We have a message of joy. We have a message of hope. We have a message of peace in the middle of all of this uncertainty. And as long as we're willing to declare that message, then we'll fulfill our purpose in Christ. And as we fulfill that purpose, that mission God has sent us on, then our lives individually will be rich and full and the abundant life that Jesus promised. I want you to think about something else, and then I'll go on to the, the it's not going to get better part. But it is in dark times, like the times that we live in, 
where Jesus does his best work. And personally, Diane, I think, now I know we can look and say, oh, everybody's turning away from God, but I think right now is the greatest opportunity for meaningful impact in this world. In my lifetime, and I'm pretty old. In all of this darkness, for every light that shines, people can't look away. And because you and I, Diane, we have the answers. We ought to be willing to share them with people. And God will use you. And there's your hope. Now, here's why I said things aren't going to get better, they're going to get worse. Paul, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the most personal of all of Paul's letters, he says to Timothy, it's sort of Paul's last words to Timothy, his young son in the faith, before he dies. Paul knows he's going to die. And he saves the most important things for last. And he says, Timothy, mark this, in the last days, there will be terrible times. The King James uses the word perilous times. And then what follows that first verse is a description of the times that we live in. And as we see ourselves as Christians dying surrounded by these kinds of things, well, then we can look up because our redemption is near. And we can see the Bible in action. We see a world where people can't even communicate anymore. We see a world where friends aren't even flesh and blood friends anymore. They're Facebook icons. We live in a world where everybody has an opinion and they want to be heard. We live in a world where, frankly, Romans 1 implies God has given us over to the hardened hearts. It gives us over to ourselves. And we're not lovers of God. We're not lovers of the good. We're men and women who revel in our sin. You see, things aren't going to get better. Jesus is going to come, then things will get better. But until that time, Diane, we've got a job to do. And our job is to tell people about Jesus. Now, maybe you can join me in prayer, Diane, because the one thing that I be, I have been praying for for a long time, uh, the older I get, the more urgent this prayer becomes. But my prayer has been, Lord, let me see one huge revival, either before you come or before I die. And I think the reason for the urgency is obvious. I'm getting older and older. But I want to see God change people's hearts. I want to see a move of His Spirit where unbelievers fall under the conviction of the Spirit. And just like in the book of Acts, brothers, tell us what to do. And we can be there and say, it's easy, repent. And be baptized for the remission of your sins and then we can add, and the times of refreshing will come upon you. But Diane, as long as we're looking at this world, we're looking for hope in the wrong place. So I agree the world's messed up. But I can say this. Look up, because Jesus is close. Here is a question from Edward. Edward says, Pastor Ron, do Jesus' words carry more authority than the other parts of the Bible? Edward, uh, the answer is no. Um, every word in the Bible, Old Testament and New, every word is Jesus' words. The fact that he didn't say them when he was here on earth um, doesn't mean that they're not every bit from him as the words that we have reported on that are in red letters in your Bibles. So you have to be careful with this, Edward, because there is a group of Christians out there getting pretty loud these days that basically say, well, we don't follow Paul. We don't listen to the Gospels. What we do is we just 
follow Jesus. And we only pay attention to his words. And I would suggest to you, Edward, that they don't even do that because a lot of Jesus' words talk about hell and about um, um, judgment and about the great tribulation and a bunch of woes. We've been studying the woes in our Sunday morning services. So Jesus' words, the, the red letters in your Bible, obviously we cherish them. But every word written by Paul, written by James, written by Peter, written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, all of the Bible is the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God. I had somebody once, Edward, tell me, he said, but, but Pastor Ron, this thing that you're talking about, it, it only mentions it one time in the Bible. And my response to him was, how many times does God have to say something before we pay attention to it? It's just that when Jesus says things over and over, when Paul, when Peter, when James, when the others, John and the others, say things repetitiously, they know us. They know that we need to hear those things more than once. So, Edward, all of the words mean a lot in the scriptures. Let's go to line one and talk with Cindy from San Antonio. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I was reading in Psalm 4. I've got two things. The first thing is I was reading in Psalm 40. Verse 6 says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Now it's the but my ears you have pierced that kind of uh, got my attention. And the second thing is, last night at women's uh, Bible study, we sang a song, you know, about Jesus dying and then raising again. And all of a sudden, I started to think about how dead was he when he died? Was he really, really dead? Because his body was dead, but he was doing a whole bunch of stuff during that time that his body was in the tomb. So I was wondering if it's possible to be, like, really, really dead. So I'll leave that with you and listen on the radio. Okay, thank you, Cindy. Uh, Cindy, I can, I can assure you his body was really, really dead. Um, he would have gone in the spirit realm into the lower parts of the earth to proclaim victory to set the captives free. But his body was really, really dead. Uh, in fact, when they, um, the Roman soldiers pierced his heart um, and the blood gushed out, that was their confirmation because usually it took people a much longer time to die on a cross. And, and by the time they ran the spear through Jesus' ribs uh, and, and into the, that, that bloody sack, um, he, he was, that was just to prove and confirm that he was dead and his body then could be removed. So that part is easy. Um, the the um, question on Psalm 40. Um, we know that this is a messianic psalm. Uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 10 quotes this psalm uh, and applies these words, these very words, uh, to Jesus himself. Um, so... Um, because it's messianic, there's there's actually a twofold application for us. Um, the first is that Jesus is uh, this is Jesus's declaration that God's holiness could never be satisfied by the Old Testament sacrifices and offerings. Blood was required to cover over sins, but it was perfect and precious blood that was necessary to do away completely with sins, and Jesus did that for us. The second application. Uh, is the question you asked about the ears being pierced. Now, the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament, about 189 B.C., and a very, very um, faithful translation of the of the Jewish Old Testament, um, says, but, but a body you've prepared for me. Now, ears you pierced, a body you've prepared for me, they basically have the same thing. Having one's ears pierced in the ancient culture was a sign of voluntary servanthood. Uh, if somebody was a, a bond serve, that's a bond slave, um, that's a slave by choice, um, they would have the lower lobe of their ear pierced with an awl, and that was a sign to all that this is a person who's in submission to the authority of another and done so willingly. 
Now, in Jesus' case, his body, a human body, was prepared for him as he willingly took on the limitations of human flesh. He did that on his own accord. Uh, Jesus took the form of a servant. He came not to be served, but to serve. And, and if we understand that, then Jesus is simply setting an example for you, Cindy, and for me, that uh, we are to be servants of the Lord. Now, here's something to consider, Cindy, that's maybe a little off the, the topic for you, but um, I think it's important. We call Jesus Lord. We say, Lord, I am your servant. But why is it that we don't do everything he tells us to do? Could it be true that we're only bond slaves of Christ? Some of your new translations will say bond servants, but but the word should be slaves. It's the Greek word doulos. It means we're a slave. We have no rights. We're bought with a price. We're not our own. Why is it that we who are Christians who call Jesus Lord don't just do what he tells us to do? I always find it fascinating going through the Gospels. And every time Jesus addressed creation, creation did what it was commanded to do. Peace be still and the waves and the winds stopped. Can you imagine? When Jesus talked to animal life, um, whether it was a fish that he needed to get coins for paying taxes, paying offerings. If he spoke to the waves, this far you can go and no farther. You see, creation does exactly what it was told. We're going to be celebrating Palm Sunday in the not-too-distant future. He, he, he commanded a, wig, a fig tree to, to wither, and it did instantly. When he spoke to demons, even demons did exactly what they were told to do. No questioning. Now, they didn't like it, but they were completely obedient. They understood who he was. It seems to me, Cindy, that only humans have the temerity to say to Jesus, no. My pastor used to say, you can't say Lord and no in the same sentence. So, Cindy, that's what the reference to the pierced ears is all about. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is our next question from Christian. He says, what is closed communion? And regarding communion, how often do you think it should be observed? Christian, closed communion is, um, I'll give an example of uh, the, the Lutheran Church. Uh, unless you are a member of their church, uh, they will not serve communion to you. They believe that communion, um, the word means oneness. Uh, they believe that communion uh, cannot be celebrated by people who have differing views on what the elements mean. The, the Lutherans uh, take very literally, Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Uh, this is my blood um, um, they believe that the, 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 the cracker becomes the body, the blood, or the, the, the cup becomes the blood. And if I were to go into a Lutheran church as a, a Christian but not a Lutheran, they would refuse me communion. Now, I think that's silly, um, but maybe that's one of the reasons the Lutheran church is so close to being dead. So uh, that's what closed communion is. I think communion... Uh, ought to be encouraged and available uh, to anybody who is a born-again Christian. The only criteria, the only exclusion criteria for for communion would be if somebody's not a born-again Christian. You know, Christian, when um, we do communion here, um, at the end of, or as we're just, just we're preparing to take communion, I always say that, that communion is a family celebration. And by that I mean if you're here, and you're not a born-again Christian, if you have no intention of giving your heart to Jesus, then it's better just to pass on the communion elements and sit quietly for the next couple of minutes, and then we'll be dismissing you. And then I say this, but we'd love to include you in communion, in fact, to make you the guest of honor at the table, and you can do that by accepting Jesus Christ, and then I give an invitation. 
And um, I, I love the fact that um, people get to take communion sometimes on the very first day of their walk with Jesus Christ. Regarding how often the communion should be observed, we don't have any, any scriptural um, guidelines for that. Um, as often as you take it, it says, um, remember my death until I come. So um, here at Calvary Chapel Christian, we do it uh, once a month, the first Sunday of every month. Uh, I, I know some churches are doing it on, on Wednesday nights or or another night if they have a service. Uh, I, I want to do it when the most people are here because I want to give the larger body to, uh, an opportunity. It's such a privilege to, to partake of communion with the body, and I like to do it that way. So we do it once a month, um, but there is no limit to how often you can take it. The only thing you don't want to do is make it uh, such a habit that it becomes something that you do without thinking about it. So, Christian, I hope that answers your questions. 340-9585. Let's go to uh, the phone. We got uh, Cindy. She has follow-up comments, and then we lost her and got her back. So, Cindy, I'm sorry if I cut you off. Hi, Pastor Ron. My my question was, um, I know that Jesus' body was really, really dead, but could he have ever been really, really dead when he was separated from God? And then I was thinking about it, and I guess it's impossible to be really, really dead, like non-existent dead. So that was kind of like where my question was going. I'm going to listen on the radio. Bye. Okay. Thank you, Cindy. I think we have to. We, we, we can never lose sight of the fact that Jesus was both man and God. So his deity, in his deity, he never died. Jesus always was, he always will be. But in his humanity, his physicality, he was as dead as it's possible to be. No more breathing, no more brain waves. Uh, Jesus was dead. Now, once the body was dead, before the body was risen from the dead, now I want you to think about this. Jesus didn't descend into the lower parts of the earth in a glorified, physically resurrected body. That had to wait until the third day. But on the third day, when that body came to life, make no mistake, it was his physical body that came to life. Thank you for the clarification, Cindy. Let's go to line two. I've got somebody I've been waiting for to call. Raina is on the line. Raina, thanks for calling. Hello, Pastor Ron. <clears throat> hi, sweetie. Hi. Hi. Um, so I understand you got the good news already but i did feel obligated <laughs> to share it with um i anticipate many listeners that hopefully were praying for me and continue to yep. pray for me as i recover so i wanted to um, let people know that um i recently had rescans of um my chest and uh stomach area where a tumor, very large tumor, was um, miraculously removed, and so um, that scan has showed that three months later, I remain cancer-free, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just wanted to share that because, you know, uh, the story goes that I was told I would not survive this, but yeah. as I tell people time and time again, and I'll continue to share it, until I'm not able to any longer, but um, my God is bigger. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> even being in the medical field and questioning that sometimes, you know, yeah. uh, my faith is bigger and my God is bigger. So I just wanted to share that with anybody that's been praying for me. Thank you. Thank you, Randy. But before you hang up, let me ask you this. Can You, you know, uh, um, thousands of people are praying for you here from the radio audience. Uh, how long have you been going through this ordeal? When did the cancer first appear? Um, that would be just over a year ago, February last year. And obviously you've had some desperate, really difficult times. Um, but look at God. Absolutely, yes. I uh, had some difficult times throughout the year. Um, but, you know, I have to admit that um, the Lord revealed himself to me. He let me know that um, it was a time for him and I to spend um, intimate time together that he'd been desiring. 
And so, um, suffering does that. Yes, for sure. Um, Rena, I needed some good news yesterday, so when I got it, I was just absolutely overjoyed. Thank you so much for letting us know. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh-huh. God bless you. We've got uh, just a little over a minute left in this half. Let me share a little bit of Rena's story. You know, we kept informing you in the audience um, while it was going on, and we kept uh, begging for your prayers. And there were times when it looked so desperate. This is a young woman. Both her and her husband, Carl, are uh, medical professionals. And sometimes knowing a lot of stuff isn't a, isn't a help. And, and the, the situation looks so hopeless. And finally, uh, the surgery to, to remove the, the, the tumor uh, was so extensive that they didn't think she could survive it. 17 hours of surgery... And now, after it, the recovery three months later, to hear that she is cancer-free is a, a wonderful gift. Thank you all so very much for your prayers. We've got 30 minutes left to go in the Tuesday edition of the show. 340-9585. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the show. We've got 30 minutes left, and we love your calls, 340-9585. I've got a call holding, but before I go there, let me just finish up with uh, something on Raina for a moment. Raina is a, a young woman. Um, you know, as a pastor, as your church grows and there's so many people and you deal with so much pain, um, you, there's times you don't know how to pray or what to pray for. And I, I would just say, Lord, spare us this sorrow, spare us this pain. And it's hard sometimes when you see somebody suffering as much as she and, and Carl were suffering. There are times I actually think it's harder for the spouse um, because there's nothing that, in this case, it was he, nothing he could do. I'm just thinking, Lord, there just seems to be no hope. And there were times when Raina was without hope. But Jesus was always there. And and just the preparation for that 17-hour surgery, um, doctors saying that some wouldn't do it and then others would. And for her not only to survive it, and the unbelievable pain and recovery aftermath. But now this soon after, to say they got it all, she's cancer-free, um, just never stop praying. Never, ever, ever stop praying. Um, those people you love, uh, God is hearing those prayers. Rena is... Uh, when I said she's young, she's 37. She's not a kid, but, you know, this is too young to get bad news. So, Raina, again, we rejoice with the Lord um, and with you over over what he's done. Miracles do happen sometimes, not the way we'd hope. You know, just wave my hand and everything will be okay. But miracles happen. Let's go to San Antonio now and talk with Alan on line one. Alan, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I have a question on your Bible study on Sunday in Luke chapter 12. I think it's verse 10, where it talks about the the uh, blasphemy in the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. uh, is the only thing that's not forgiven for. Can, can you elaborate on that? I just didn't quite understand that fully. Okay. Thank you, Alan. I can do that. You know, when, whenever we hear, uh, and, and I told this to the church, whenever we hear there's one unforgivable sin, the devil is always there to say, you committed it. But the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, Alan, is not a physical sin that we take. It's not like sexual immorality or doing drugs or something like that. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is rejecting the work that the Holy Spirit came to do. Now, Jesus told us what his job was. He came to convict the world of sin and of righteousness, and of judgment. 
of sin because we're sinners. We're all guilty. There's no one who, who doesn't sin. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so when we sin, we've got to become aware of our sin. Most of us, Alan, have had that experience where we're doing something that we've done a hundred times before and our conscience never bothered us. But all of a sudden we do the same thing and it just tears us apart because we know it's wrong. We know there, there's, there's got to be some way to make it right. Well, that's when the Spirit convicts us of sin. When He convicts us of righteousness, that's the answer for our sin. And then, of course, of judgment. If we don't get right with God, then we will be judged. If we die in that condition, Alan, that's what blasphemy the Holy Spirit is. I told the church on Sunday that nobody in the room has committed that sin yet. If you're here and you've still got breath, you haven't committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, there's an opportunity to, to get right with God, say you're sorry, and ask for forgiveness even now. But for people who die that way, and I have been at lots of deathbeds, lots and lots of deathbeds over my years. And I've tried to communicate with people on their deathbed. It's not too late. But, you know, our hearts get so hard. And uh, sometimes people just won't listen. They won't hear. And that means there's no remedy for sin left. So the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not, Jesus said just before that, you can, you can speak against the Son of Man. You can say anything you want about Jesus. So it's not a, uh, something we say. But when we reject the work of the Holy Spirit, then we're guilty of the only sin without a remedy. And that's because we're dead. And I've said many times, Alan Hebrews 9.27 says that it's, it's uh, appointed unto man to die once, then face the judgment. So as long as you have breath, it's not too late to ask Jesus into your heart. But once you die, God honors in eternity the decision that we make on earth. If on earth I wanted nothing to do with Jesus, well, he'll make sure that in eternity I have nothing to do with Jesus. Thanks, Alan. I appreciate the opportunity to, make, to clear it up a little bit. Get to my next question anonymously. It says, can the devil read our minds? And then how can we resist the devil? Um, anonymous, there's no evidence at all in Scripture that, that the devil can read your minds. Now, there's lots of evidence that he can plant thoughts in our minds, but no evidence at all that he can read our minds. That seems to be the purview of God alone, uh, and the enemy does not have that opportunity. Now, let me also say this. Um, I've called Satan the greatest psychologist, uh, behavioral psychologist in the history of our world, because he is a supernatural teacher, uh, observer, um, developer, even shaper of our psychology. He knows the buttons to push. He knows the directions to push and to pull. So he knows what we're going to do because he's able to predict it based on our past. But there is no indication whatsoever that he can read our minds. So you don't have to worry about that. The other thing, and, and I don't know if this is the reason you asked this question, but I've had a lot of people ask whether or not they should pray out loud because if Satan can't read their minds, it's better to pray um, um, uh, you know, under our breath without, without the devil being able to hear the last place you ever have to worry about the devil is when you're talking to Jesus. So no, he can't read your minds, and if you say things out loud um, and you're talking to the Lord, he's got you covered. Now, how can we resist the devil? That's simple. We have to be with Jesus. I think my favorite saying in life is just be with Jesus. That's the solution to all of the problems. So... Uh, when when the devil is causing you to be tempted, when the devil is causing all kinds of spiritual warfare, all we have to do is run to Jesus. I love that Hebrews calls Jesus our big brother. Big brothers are supposed to protect little brothers and sisters. And that's exactly what Jesus does. So when the devil is attacking me, I run into the presence of the Lord. And there I'm safe. The devil can huff and puff and threaten to blow my house down. But the reality is, is if I'm with Jesus, there's nothing that he can do. 
He can lie to me. He can uh, try to keep me awake with nightmares. Boy, does he ever do that. But he can't hurt me. He can't touch me. John says the evil one will not harm us. But we have to be with Jesus. It's when we're away from Jesus, Anonymous, that we tend to have a, a, a problem running into, running into the enemy. So just be with Jesus. 340-9585, Paul wants to know, is the rapture in the Bible, and when is the rapture going to happen? The word rapture, Paul, is not in the Bible. Um, that's an English word that we get from a Latin word, raptus or rapturo, um, depending on the, the conjugation of the word. Um, but yes, the idea of the rapture is in the Bible. I used to say in answer to this question, Paul, that there's no real Christian who doubts that the rapture is going to happen. Um, it's just the timing of the rapture that is under discussion. Um, but but now these days, of course, we've got all kinds of different doctrines and theologies that say, oh, no, there's no rapture in the Bible anywhere. The rapture's all through the Bible, Old Testament and New. In the Old Testament, it's there in type. In the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 1551, listen, I tell you a mystery, meaning it hasn't been spoken about before. I tell you a mystery. We won't all die, but we will all be changed. In an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be transformed and we'll receive our glorious resurrected bodies and we will be with Jesus. That's 1 Corinthians 1551. Uh, that's the rapture of the church. There's more information in the rapture of church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 2 Thessalonians as well. But the idea is it is there. And uh, let me suggest this to you, Paul. Um, on our website, calvarysa.com, you can go to uh, my studies on Revelation. They're easy to find. Go to the very first study that I do in chapter 4. And that's always when I teach extensively one whole Bible study on the rapture. And I give you all the types in the Old Testament, all the pictures, all the promises. And then I talk about, of course, the New Testament passages and exegete them. So yes, the rapture is in the Bible and it can happen at any minute. Now, is it going to happen today? Probably not. Is it going to happen next year, next two years, ten years, a hundred years? I don't know. But here's what I do know. When it happens, it will happen suddenly and without warning. And we need to be ready. But as to the specific timing, Jesus said no one knows the hour or the day. It's not something that we're supposed to focus on. We're supposed to focus on the fact that there is going to be a rapture and we're going to be with him and we're supposed to concentrate on how we live our lives in light of that. And Paul, by that, I mean, if we really knew, let's say Jesus sent you an email, and in that email it said, coming tonight, 10 o'clock. Do you think you'd live your life a little differently between now and 10 o'clock? Then you will not, knowing he's coming? Of course we would. Well, the idea is if we're ready for him to come at any moment, then every moment ought to be a moment that we spend with him being used by him and for him and doing what we are called and gifted to do. So that's how we live in light of the rapture. 340-9585. Well, here's a question I'll have to answer because I, Alan asked it. Matthew, want to know how can a Christian commit blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Uh, Matthew, I told Alan, you just... Don't listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ and die in that condition. And you have, in fact, blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Let's go to Stephanie on line one from San Antonio. Stephanie, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Good. Um, I have a question with regards to your thoughts, uh, maybe some recent news on Francis Chan. Um, I've been a follower of his for a while. I've uh, read a lot of his books, and just due to some of the conferences that he has been going to in regards to Todd White and 
uh, I can't think of his last name, Benny, um, the other prosperity. Uh, Benny Hinn? Benny Hinn, thank you. Yeah. Uh, And so more or less just wanting to get some of your insight, uh, just because, you know, with the books that I've read from Francis Chan, uh, they appear to be very biblically sounded. Uh, I really haven't heard anything in relation to it not being biblical with his teachings, but again, just wanted your thoughts or insight. I can do that, Stephanie. Um, let me preface my, my comments by saying I don't think there's anything in his books that would cause anybody any concern. Um, uh, Francis Chan is a gifted communicator. Uh, he is an emotional guy, and I love that about him. Um, but my problem, Stephanie, comes in um, with these later associations that you mentioned, uh, a couple of them. Todd White and Benny Hinn are false teachers, and nobody nobody should should partner with them in any kind of ministry and, and, until and unless they repent. Um, but 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 I know some things about Francis Chan. Again, I, I can't judge his heart. Uh, I've always believed that his heart was in the right place. I I believe with all my heart that he is a believer who loves Jesus. But the two things that that have bothered me the most about Francis Chan are his position on the church. You know, he got to a place where he sort of um, gave his church away, basically, um, because he said, you know, I just can't imagine that we do church this way. One person talks and everybody else just kind of sits and listens. And and, and he, he became very unsettled a few years ago. And uh, he just decided there's going to be a whole new, more grassroots way of doing church. And, of course, there is no different way. Church is church. And uh, the, the pastor preaches, and, and the Word of God goes out, and the power of God. And, 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 and I was really, really concerned about his lack of faith when it comes to God's ordained method of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's through preaching and teaching those, making disciples of those who have received Jesus Christ. So I just think anytime somebody tries to reinvent the wheel, that they've taken a wrong turn somewhere. And I think for Francis Chan, that wrong turn is sort of what led him into the direction of Todd White and Benny Hinn and some others, and that has been a concern. Uh, I have a little bit closer association uh, with a a, a group um, that um, Francis Chan sits on the board uh, of uh, board of directors. Um, the group is Gospel for Asia. Um, the pastor um, K. P. Yohannan has long, long, long been connected with Calvary Chapel, so uh, we know him well. Uh, well, well K.P. Yohannan uh, really, really has done some horrible things. Um, uh, he's, he's changed his whole method of ministry. Um, Gospel for Asia was not using the money for the things that it was intended to. And Francis Chan on the board has been silent about that and, in fact, has defended some of the things that they're doing with Believer's Church in India. And and I think he'll be held to account for some of those things. I have friends who are on the board of GFA. um, um, And and based on what they've seen uh, and the things that were hidden from them as a board, they resigned uh, after trying to correct KP. They resigned. Well, Francis Chan's come alongside um, and uh, and supported him, and, and that concerns me. That goes to a bigger problem for me, Stephanie, and I'm not saying that this should be your problem. This is just my problem, and I honestly don't know how to work it out. I have a very hard time listening to someone whose life doesn't match what they say. Now, nobody's perfect, and I understand that. But when people are living in, in, as a characteristic of life, when they're living in situations that are in complete opposition to the, the, the things that they're preaching about, well, that really, really bothers me. And Francis Chan has been a vocal proponent of transparency and openness, and yet he's sitting on this board and lots and lots of people are being hurt, and he's not doing anything about it. And, and, and those are the things that I think has caused him to sort of take these wrong turns. Um, again, you can pick out the good things in his books. I don't think there's anything that's going to harm you in those books. His book, Crazy Love, was a was a, 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 an international bestseller, uh, and there's a lot of good stuff there. 
Um, I just don't want to hear it anymore if a guy's not living what he's preaching. So, Stephanie, I hope that helps. Thank you very, very much. Uh, you know, I, I really don't know, um, sort of elaborating on that for a moment, I don't know how to get over that. Um, uh, if, if, if what somebody's preaching, if the content is great, if the delivery is great, but if it's not enough to transform them, why do I want to listen to them? There's so many men uh, who are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ wonderfully uh, and living it. They're the real deal. And uh, again, nobody's perfect. I don't have any expectations that they are. But um, but for somebody to stay on that wrong path, uh, I, I think his intellectual curiosity, maybe for lack of a better phrase, has caused him to, to make these wrong turns. I, I would just be careful and probably wouldn't be interested in anything new that he had to say. I used to listen to him occasionally on... Uh, on uh, on the internet and now I just can't so Stephanie I hope that makes sense to you here's a question from Adam he says Pastor can you comment on Rob Bell do you know where he is now and do you know any other well known pastors who are universalists um, I can comment on Rob Bell he's a false teacher he was sort of one of the uh, men that was at the vanguard of the of the emerging church movement um, some years ago, know, maybe eight, ten years ago. And, um, you know, anything new makes a lot of noise for a moment. He was well-financed and um, wrote some um, books that were bestsellers. Um, but Rob Bell is, is does not believe Christian doctrine. Uh, he does believe that everybody's going to end up in heaven. I can't imagine a God who would judge and send people to hell. Uh, that's because he does not understand his Bible, uh, and I would put uh, sort of a skull and crossbones on Rob Bell's ministry and tell you just to completely avoid it. I do not know where he is. Um, he, he He's just not of any interest to me, um, so I'm not, uh, I've been curious, and uh, yeah, I do know some others who are, are universalists. Carlton Pearson is one. Um, but when you say well-known pastors, these are men who call themselves pastors. Because you're not pastoring or shepherding the flock of God if you're telling people there's no judgment. If you're telling people that, that hell isn't real or hell doesn't exist. So um, uh, Carlton Pearson was a guy that when I very first got saved, I had some interaction with him uh, in, in my hometown. And... Um, um, such a gifted guy. And for one reason or another, he just decided that hell isn't real. And that's really, really a, a, a bad place to be. I would not want to be in either one of their shoes when they stand before Jesus and give account of their ministry. Think about this. Think about somebody like Benny Hinn that Stephanie asked about or Todd White or Rob Bell now or Carlton Pearson. How would you explain to Jesus on that day you stand before him that you were ashamed of his message? That you judged him as being unfair, unjust, because you believed hell was an unjust doctrine. Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. How are any of us going to stand before him and explain why we didn't share our faith with others? Jesus said in my study this past Sunday in Luke, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before God's holy angels. If you didn't confess him before men, if you were ashamed or embarrassed or even just afraid, how would we ever explain that to him? Here will be the last question for the day. Thank you for tuning in. It's an anonymous question. They want to know what I think about Christian couples who do not want children. Uh, generally, and this is not judgmental at all, but generally I think they're getting ripped off. Uh, children are a blessing from God. I do understand there are people that don't want children, but I think that's one of those things where we're saying, okay, Lord, I know you want to bless me, but I don't want to be blessed. So that's my initial thought. Let me also say this, and I do a lot of counseling, uh, marriage counseling, pre-marriage counseling, and, and couples, uh, I'll ask them, do you plan on having children? Well, but we don't know when, and we're not in any rush, so we're going to wait some time. 
uh, I think like every other thing that we have to take before the Lord, I think this question, rather than being a general question, this is a question that every Christian husband and wife needs to take before the Lord to get his idea. It's not about what I think or what anybody else thinks. We need to go before God and ask, God, what do you want for this family? Do you want us to have children? And sometimes God may say, it's your call. But, but if God wants you to have kids, I promise you, you want to have them. And if we'll understand that, then what we'll do, instead of coming up with our own ideas, our own opinions, we'll put even our reproductive rights under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and ask Him, what's your plan, Lord? I had a, recently a young couple getting married, and they're going to spend a couple of years together, three years before they start talking about it, so they can get to know each other and have some fun while they're young. And I just thought, have you... Ask Jesus what he wants to do. And I could tell instantly in their face that the answer was no. They didn't ask him. They didn't think they had to. Well, every single decision that we make needs to be brought before the throne of God. Especially you men who are the heads of your household. It's your responsibility to find out what God wants. And do that instead of doing what you think you want. Thank you for the question, Anonymous. Hey, thanks for your calls and questions today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. I will be here tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. Pray for us. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4. And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.